from the Empire of Lies, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines, a oasis of free speech, open debate, and diverse opinions. This is the backstory. So we're getting ready for a weekend, Rod, an important weekend, the weekend before the big election. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Leo. I can't complain. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I found out I missed Trump last night. He was not in Sioux Falls, but I saw someone, uh, a, a major reporter, called Sioux City, Iowa, which is about an hour away, as you, I think you know, uh, from Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls. There was a Trump rally in Sioux City, Iowa last night. And who was there? but Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I did not know about it, but had I known about it, obviously the girlfriend and I would have gone down to that rally. But we got a clip from that, and it's heartwarming. So we'll play that in a second. Well, let's talk about the show. In the first hour, the great Wyatt Reed will be joining us, the great correspondent for Sputnik. And in the second hour, closing out of the week, our friend, the great writer and author, Tom Nichols, telling us stuff we didn't know about history today. And of course, we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So I'm, I, I, I'm going to complain a little bit. You know, I'm an old man, and I do that sometimes. So. Uh, you know, I talked about how Tulsi Gabbard was here in Sioux Falls a couple of nights ago, and the girlfriend and I went down to that. Nome, Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, and Tulsi Gabbard, we went down to that event, and uh, I posted pictures on the Twitter that I took. Right? You seen those, Rod? Uh, no, I didn't get to see those yet, Lee. My Twitter's running really slow, but there's no conspiracy behind it. There's, you didn't miss anything, you know. It's it, it's pictures of someone on stage from a distance. So, but whatever, they're, you know, they're they're fine. So, but I posted some pictures on Twitter, and you know, expecting people would be like, "Well, that's cool, right?" I don't ask for much, Rod. But you know, a couple people I saw posted something, and whenever I talk about Tulsi, I see this, and I'm going to complain about it like a grumpy old man. I see people say, she was a WEF young leader, or whatever the hell that is, and she was in the Council for Foreign Relations, so she's a plant. Chris, uh, you know, Tulsi Gabbard's a plant, and you morons, let me point out something. Let me start off by calling you morons because you need to realize you're playing right into what I would want if I were Klaus Schwab of the CIA. Do you know what I'm getting at here, Rod? Yeah. Um, anyone associated with them pretty much get that dirt on them. So, you know, even right. if a friend of a friend, you know, then that means you're a friend of the WEF. Now, if you're approaching it honestly, you know what you would do? If you found it's true, Tulsi Gabbard was in the Council on Foreign, for Foreign Relations, the CFR, and 
she was in the leadership, the young leaders thing, but she didn't choose that. When you're the WEF picks you as a young leader, I think Putin was a young leader when he was young because the WEF picks you. Does it make sense, Rod? And it's a big difference. Yeah, I would, I would, I would uh, akin it to uh, pretty much like um, you know when I was being scouted for football to go to college. You know, they're 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 scouting the whole landscape, and you know we just know these names, Putin and Tulsi Gabbard, as WEF leaders because they made it. There's also a whole bunch of people we don't know about. That that's exactly right, and I believe they pick people who they feel are have a certain amount of charisma or leadership ability, and then they either become one of them or they don't become one of them, in which case they're still tarred with a stank of being one of them at one point. But they weren't really one of them. They were just picked. Does that make sense? They were recruited. It's a good football analogy here. They were recruited, but they didn't make the team. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, and, and Putin, even though they don't come out blatantly and say, you know, screw the WEF and, you know, I'm glad I'm, I'm not a part of that. It, it, it's def- definitely apparent with someone like Putin that he's not a part of it. I mean, he's he's all about his energy and he's all about uh, family and he's all about food. The, the, the three things that the WEF hates. And, and furthermore, the reason I call people morons, and I think this is a dumb line of attack, and I don't like when good people are attacked because you can attack anyone. So I'll use me as an example. Okay. Let's say someone tuned in a show and they like what I'm putting down. And then they find out someone says to them, don't trust Lee. You know, he used to write for Huffington Post. He used to be a Democrat. Is that true? Yes, it's true. But what you do if you're an honest person is you would ask me about it. You try to find out what the story is. Lee, is it true you used to be a Democrat? Yes, it is. Why? And then when I explain, you listen to my explanation and either makes sense or not. So on Tulsi Gabbard, if you found out she was in the Council for Foreign Relations, okay? If you're honest, if you're dishonest, you just go, she's a plant, she's a plant. Does that make sense? But if you're honest, you'd ask her about it. You'd say, Tulsi, is this true? And you'd find out what she said. And actually, in the case of Tulsi, and I'll look for it, but let's see if you can help me find this, Rod. She was asked this question, and she's answered it. Now, if you asked Tulsi about that, were you recruited by the WF, and she blocks you, or she says, or she runs away, that's a bad sign. Would she, you agree? If she runs away like Bill Browder, yeah, that'd be right. a bad Or Jack Posobiec or Mike Cernovich or Dan Bongino. These people, when people ask Bongino, Lee's talking about Strobe Talbot. This was years ago. People would say to Bongino, Lee Stranahan saying, you don't mention Strobe Talbot in your book Spygate, which she does not. So Bongino's response was to say, Lee works for Russia and to block people. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I do remember that. Now, I would say anybody seeing that response should be irritated by it because he's not really answering the question, right? 
He's not saying, you know, I didn't know about Strobe Talbot, so I'll look into that. Or he's saying, I think Lee's wrong about Strobe Talbot. He didn't say any of that. He just blocked some runs. Tulsi did not block and run. First off, that scores her points in my book. But she explained that she doesn't agree with the WEF. And, you know, when you're new to Washington, if someone says to you, you should join the Council on Foreign Relations, you probably not watch David Icke on the roundtable. And you don't know anything about them. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. David Icke would be like, I mean, if somebody is presenter David Icke, I think immediately they would say, oh, this guy sounds like a uh, British Alex Jones. Right. That's right. And, and we have a clip from David. And uh, uh, but he's he's really a genius on this stuff and the roundtable groups, which is why I suspect the CFR, which is why I don't like the CFR, because I know about their connection to other roundtable groups like the Bilderberg group or Trilateral Commission, right, and Chatham House and so on. But to dismiss her immediately and not even do the little bit of research, has she answered this question, is doing the CIA's bidding. And it pisses me off because if I was CIA, I would have people doubt the good people. People like Tucker Carlson and Tulsi Gabbard are not plants. They are the good side. And they may not be perfect by my standard, but my standard is pretty high for perfect. But they're pretty damn good. And I think in a world where we're up against a Democratic Party that's thoroughly dangerous, picking on people who are not perfect and may have, you know, have stuff in their past that they're they're willing to explain. Tucker Carlson has talked about he was a neocon. Have you heard Tucker talk about that? Regretfully, he regrets being neo neocon. Yeah, he talks about support for the war. Yeah, I remember that. I do not fault someone for being a neocon at some point. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I got I got you on that, Lee. There's a point where I would have said I was a Zionist. Because I thought that meant supporting Israel and not being anti-Semitic. And then, and in fact, when I started on this network, I would have said I'm a Zionist because I didn't understand what that meant. But my opinions change. And we were talking about this during the week. And do you know who, you know, when I played the Kennedy clip and someone called in and said Kennedy is a warmonger and racist. And I pointed out Kennedy was changing. Kennedy's views, as that piece of piece shows, he was changing. Remember that conversation, Ron? Yeah, no, I remember that. We had, uh, I forget the call's name right now. I can't remember. I think it was Charles or something like that. Yes, I think so. And the, the example, I was talking about to my girlfriend about that afterwards, because I did go off on the caller, because it really does bug me. And I'm an old man and I'm grumpy. But uh, do you know what occurred to me? Do you know who else they killed when he was changing? Someone named Malcolm X. The autobiography of Malcolm X is really one of my favorite books because it's an amazing story 
of a human being changing. He started off, he was a thug. He was a criminal. You know, what it was, you know, a young adult, a teenager. Then in prison, he discovered Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam, right? And then he was undoubtedly pissed at white people, blue-eyed devils. In the middle phase, when Malcolm X became famous as a minister for the Nation of Islam, and he was anti-white, that's the part everyone remembers from Malcolm. Does it make sense? The pissed off, very articulate, well-spoken representative of Nation of Islam, Malcolm X. That's the part everyone thinks of. But at the end of the autobiography, because of his Muslim faith, he realized he'd met a lot of white Muslims who he realized were his brother. And he talks about that in the autobiography. And that's when they killed him, like Kennedy. When he was changing to becoming more pro-peace and more pro-love and more pro-humanity. Does that make sense? That's when they killed him. So let's go to calls. 202. But before we do, Rod, any comments on that? Do you think I'm right? Yeah, no, uh, definitely. Uh, Malcolm X was becoming more, we need to unify to fight against the powers that be. And um, yeah, no, definitely that's when he was uh, assassinated by uh, the intelligence agencies, the FBI was heavy, heavily involved with that. So yeah. Yeah, and and I, I'd say King too. You know, none of these people were necessarily perfect people. And I don't, that's not the standard I use, perfection. But you don't attack people who are really good, who are very good, and you can't point to something negative they're doing and call them a plant unless there's a reason. Let's go to phones. 202-521-1320. The great owl killer, part of our community of calls here on Fall Lines. Owl killer, hit me. Have you done any more research into the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. assassination and what his family said about James Earl Ray? Only a little bit. The family is convinced he is not the one who shot him. And they've even met with him and spoken with him, if, if, if I remember correctly. But they're That's true. He, he was, and, was not the shooter. Um, but that, that's... I, I think a lot of those conspiracies, a lot of those assassinations in the 60s, I mean, you got to think of the time frame. You know, it's it's right after World War II, the CIA is established, at what, I believe, in 48, if I, if officially established in 48 or around that time. It was established in 47 and started in 48. So yeah. you're right with either one. Yeah, they got about a decade and a half under their belt that the assassinations really start. And, I mean, you, you, we know that the Zapruder film was with the Kennedy assassination. We know the public did not see, like, the complete film for years until years later. It was almost... Well, well Al Killer, you made an important point there. So I'll say something else. When the CIA was started, it was unheard of that the United States would assassinate a foreign leader. But we know for a fact that they were assassinating foreign leaders and trying to assassinate people like Fidel Castro. So what we know is suddenly the U.S. had an agency 
that was pursuing that policy. So if you say, you, you can't say there's no way they would have assassinated Kennedy because we didn't assassinate anybody. We were talking about it and planning it and people like Obama and people like Castro, right? So good point there. That was at a point where suddenly the U.S. had assassination as its unofficial policy. Go ahead, I'll call it. Great point. I, I, but another uh, another big operation that they carried out was Operation Gladio throughout Europe. Now, right. That, I mean, that's admitted. Okay, that that's admitted stuff. Where they exactly were take they were taking out leftist leaders in inside of countries like Italy and throughout Europe. So, and but again, you know, you go back to tragedy and hope. That book was allegedly left on a printer. It was supposed to be distributed to um, State Department employees. They were like, okay, this doesn't make sense. We fund fascists here. We fund communists here. What, what's going on? And that was basically like a, a breakdown so they would understand why they back certain um, people in certain regions. And it, it's not about the ideology. It's about, it's about having the position of control. It doesn't matter what you call it. And that's why there's no. There's and the part that you're talking about, the history of Carol Quigley's book, Tragedy and Hope, which outlines a lot of this stuff. There's an interview, and it's on YouTube somewhere. You've heard it, I'm sure, where Carol Quigley talks about how they said they told him it's not in print anymore, and we destroyed the plates. Is that right, Al Killer? Yep. They, the, the publisher lied to him. Yep. And said it was out of print and could not be printed again. Either the publisher lied or somebody that had an original copy put put it back into print. Because you'll notice there's two different covers, right? There's that purple cover. That's the original print. And then there's the newer ones that come out in, like, paperback. But the original one is has a – it's like a thick um, – like an older book would come in. It's almost like an almanac um, you, would, you would – Well, Owl Killer – well, I've got you on the phone. Let's play the first clip. I've got a lot of clips today. Let's play the reason the WEF attempted to get rid of David Icke. Well, that was uh, Command Center. Command Center, you got that? He's a terrorist level three. That's what they call them. Okay. The, so it's the reason the WEF attacked David Icke is the one. Hit it. As the Dutch government, a guy called Rutter, the Prime Minister, completely owned by the World Economic Forum and uh, Klaus Schwab, why has he just announced that the Netherlands, the second biggest exporter of food in the world, is targeting farmers to destroy them and get them off the land, which is where all these farming protests in the Netherlands have come from. At a time of food shortages and supply chain problems, you are targeting the second biggest exporter of food in the bloody world to destroy its farming base. Why are you doing that? If people depend on you for what's left of the food, you control them. Where food is abundant and cheap, you do not control them. Where energy is cheap and abundant, you do not control them. Scarcity equals dependency equals control. And that's why they're targeting the food chain, they're targeting the energy supply, they're targeting everything. 
and this is, by the way, I'll throw it over to you, Al Killer, for a comment. But before I do, let me say, this is why what he's talking about there, you have your freedom and independence when you can grow your own food. Wife said, if there's going to be reparations for slavery, I have always thought that it should be farmland. And that's why the Pigford story bugged me so much. Because if you had a family, if you had a black family own a five acre farm so they can, they would be truly independent. And that's what no one wants. I've said, Al Killer, what say you? You know, and then you go, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been throughout this entire country and there is nothing but land and unused land. And then you look at states like Nevada or Utah or Idaho where- Or South Dakota. Come here, Al Killer. No, but I'm saying look at how much land that the government owns in these areas. And, you know, I'm yes. a huge Tim Pool fan, but he had that uh, one of the Bundys on. And he was breaking. He was explaining how that area in Nevada that they had the grazing rights on since like 1883 or whatever. It's full of uranium and full of gold. And the federal the federal government just says they own like they own 63 percent of these states. I mean, that's why I don't want to hear a word about overpopulation or any of this stuff. Like David Ike said, artificial scarcity. Choice is uh, abundance is choice and freedom. And scarcity is rationing and slavery. That's the truth. That that is, this is every every issue we have is artificial scarcity. You know why we have an energy crisis? Because you shut down our energy and you started a war in a proxy war with uh, Russia and Ukraine to cut your, to cut Europe off from oil or from li- uh, liquid natural gas. Every issue we have in this country and in the world is imposed by these people in the World Economic Forum. And I'm glad you brought up the Tulsi Gabbard issue, because I love Roger Stone, but he made a claim saying Ron DeSantis is skull and bones. And I asked Alex today on uh, Alex Jones, and he's like, you know, I Roger Stone said that, but I've yet to be able to prove that. So I wonder if that was like a little late trick, because the, the, the World Economic Forum it's a legitimate question because her and Dan Crenshaw are on the same year, but at least she'll address it. Dan Crenshaw will run away. But, like, of course, they target people of talent, and they invite them. I mean, Vladimir Putin was also a member of the World Economic Forum, and that obviously he's not on, the, that's, he's not on board with their policies, clearly not. You know what I mean? So they what they do is they want to have these leaders under their thumb, and they I mean, they're very good. David Rockefeller was known to like pinpoint these people when they're in high school based on their test scores. So they're they are they're well versed in how to acquire talent. No different than any like what you would call a headhunter does for companies. So I, I I do think that is it's a legitimate question of Tulsi Gabbard, but her deeds are you know her deeds make her is what make me lean more towards she is. On our side, you know what I mean. And you put you put it well, Killer. My problem is not you're not a moron for asking a question. You're a moron for answering it when you don't really know the answer. Does that make sense? I don't like when people say, and and they don't know. Okay, she was in the WF leaders program or whatever. Has she been asked about it? They don't know. 
So look into it. And I'm going to play another clip because we're almost to the break. So let's play Marjorie Taylor Greene. By the way, the video feed is down. So if you're watching on Rumble, enjoy no video for a little while. But let's play Marjorie Taylor Greene at the Trump rally last night in Sioux City, Iowa. This is why I'm increasingly really liking Marjorie Taylor Greene. Hit it. Where Americans are robbed, stabbed, raped, kidnapped, carjacked, and murdered. But only the only crime victim you hear about from Democrats in the media is Paul Pelosi. <laughs> was brutally attacked by a drugged out illegal alien that should have been deported and Paul Pelosi should have been a gun owner and shot his attacker. Democrats have ripped our border wide open, but the only border they care about is Ukraine, not America's southern border. Under Republicans, not another penny will go to Ukraine. Our country comes first. Now, listen to that. You're not going to hear polls that tell you. You heard that crowd, Rod, right? Yeah, they were pretty pretty excited to cut off that money. Now, also, the reporter who posted that clip that I saw, they said Marjorie Taylor Greene got the crowd to boo Paul Pelosi. I don't think if I when I heard that clip, I did not think they were booing Paul Pelosi. I think they were booing the media. What say you, Rod? Yeah, no, she didn't. She didn't egg on any type of booze or anything. She was just. She was just. She would just point out the hypocrisy of an illegal alien uh, beating up Paul Pelosi. And no one was booing Paul Pelosi or saying. In fact, when she she brought up at some point, Paul Pelosi should have shot his attacker, and people cheered that. Because, you know, they like the idea. So I would say that's pro-Paul Pelosi, right? But yeah, uh, exercising his, uh, his constitutional rights to uh, defend himself with a gun. I mean, he's an 82-year-old man, I think. So, you know, I guess a 45-year-old man, I think he needed a gun to level the playing field. Yes, exactly right. It's the same woman. It's the same reason people who are anti-gun are ultimately anti-woman. Because it's the great equalizer. You know, if you're a five foot four woman, uh, 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 someone who attacks you, who's, you know, how tall are you, Rod? Not that you would attack a woman, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm six one. Okay, so six one, you can beat up any five foot four woman pretty much, right? Yeah, about 99%, you know, 98% of 99% of them, yeah. Right. And so, but if they have a gun, then you or anyone. You can't. I, you can't stop a bullet, right? She and, seven foot tall, <laughs> right? Brittany Griner. Exactly. So, so, but guns are great equalizers. Now, the thing I like about that is she mentioned Republicans and why say people need to go after Kevin McCarthy because he's out there lying. But I would say the base. The Republican voters, you can, you know, I say this to people sometimes. I say, look, I think Republicans, voters, 
are largely anti-Ukraine. And people say, well, I'm not seeing polling that says that. Well, I'll tell you what, you're not going to see polling that says that. Does that make sense? Reuters or whoever does polls does not. What, wait, say that again, Command Central? Okay. So, Al Killer, you heard that, the crowd there. What say you? Do you think most Republican voters don't like Ukraine at this point? I think there's probably four Republican voters that are uh, in support of uh, a war in Ukraine, and they probably all live in Dick Cheney's house. I, no, but no, nobody, no Republican voter is for, is, for, is for getting involved in Ukraine. And, you know, yeah, we don't need Kevin McCarthy. Matt Gates or Jim Jordan should be the Speaker of the House. One of those. Oh, you know, Jordan's someone I'm somewhat iffy on, but he's better than most people. I like Massey. I like yeah, Rand Paul, of course. Massey. Massey would, would be the best bet, but Massey doesn't see, like, Massey just know he's the guy that knows he's right all the time, and he is. But he doesn't, because he's that confident in himself, he doesn't seek to rule over other people in a sense. So, you know, he, he's content on making his points that make sense and taking care of Kentucky. That, that's what he sees. But he's not interested in a career in, like, going forward in politics. But I'll tell you something. You played uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I do like, but I think Car- Carrie Lake is her on steroids. She is so sharper with the media. I've never seen yes. somebody, because she comes from media, able to handle media the way that she does. And she anticipates the stupid, the stupid questions that she's going to get. And I've never seen, and that's what I wish Trump would have been like, able to, sometimes he's able to, be witty with what he says back. But most of the time, he just tries to, def- like, it's always about defending himself rather than turning the tables. Like, h- how easy would it have been for him to nip the stupid white supremacist stuff in the butt? But he always had to, like, try to defend himself. Like, obviously, you're not a white supremacist with a, uh, you know, with a Jewish grandchildren and a Jewish um, son-in-law. Like, that, that's obvious. But he would always get him. He would always get himself. Uh, well, the anti-Semitic stuff's going to come up later. We have clips about the stuff that's happening with Kyrie, and I, that stuff it, has gotten in, insane. Yeah. Yes. And it, it, what's even more insane is that he tries to. Did you see he wanted to go for re-education? Like, look, I, I think that documentary, now that I looked at it, it's, it's insane. It's completely off the wall. It, it's crazy. But the guy can post whatever he wants. He's in, and I think they went after him more because that guy had the guts to stand up and not take that vaccine. He lost hundred, uh, probably $100 million. Yes. Mates. We have a clip to talk about that. That's the actual problem. The problem with Kyrie is he's a vaccine heretic. It's not these anti-Semitic. They don't really care about that. They care about not hurting the pharmaceutical companies and the government agenda. Agreed? Absolutely. And I think now that the now that we're getting the truth about the the side effects and the actual efficacy of the vaccine, they, they that was a way to wipe him off the wipe him off the board because 
he would have been out there. Wait, this guy was this guy took a stand. He put his whole basketball career on. I mean, he's not he's not a bench player. This guy is an NBA All Star, NBA champion, one of the best point guards that ever lived, and he put everything on the line, like like almost like a founding father. He put everything on the line for what he for to take a stand on something that hey, you're not going to tell me what to do to my body. And now they've completely wiped him off the board, and everything else that he has said is in question. You know, because they they wouldn't really. They... But, but Al Killer, I gotta go because why it's online. But final question for you, Al Killer. You're from Jersey. Does the Brooklyn Nets still sound wrong to you? I'm a Knicks fan till I die, and that's okay. Knicks fan, never been a Nets fan. When they were in Jersey. It was hard to be a Nets fan, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I, 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 it's, of course, it's still, even the jerseys, I, I can't get behind the jerseys either. Like, I still cringe a little when I hear the Washington Commanders because I'm not used to it. Does that make sense? And the Washington Commanders, what are they commanding? Come on. What a stupid name. So, Al Killer, great call as usual. Thanks so much for the conversation. Thanks for being part of our community here on The Backstory, where we take a, a little break here. Actually, let's take a double uh, Command Central. And when we come back, we'll talk to the great Sputnik correspondent, Wyatt Reed. We're honored to have him on. Brave Sputnik correspondent, Wyatt Reed, right after this, on the backstory. And we're back on the backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Join now by brave Sputnik correspondent, Wyatt Reed. Hey, Wyatt, how you doing? I'm good. How about yourself, Lee? I'm doing fine. Now, there's some debate as to where in the world you are, because oh, I heard two things, Brisbane and I heard Europe. And I know Brisbane's in Australia, but there might be one in Europe I'm missing. But also, I think, why? I think that was a slight miscommunication there. Lis- Lisbon, Lisbon. Lisbon, Spain. Or Portugal. 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 I was Portugal. close. Forgive me. <laughs> you were very now, close. I find, Geographically. They're I both it, Now, I find it fascinating that you are a brave correspondent for Sputnik who's a world traveler. And when you take a vacation, because you're on vacation now, you what do you do? I, a lot of people would say, on my vacation, I'm not traveling at all. I'm going to take a nap. I'll hole up in a Motel 6 down the road. But you travel the world. You can't get enough travel, can you? Oh, man. Well, I, I'm very blessed to, to be able to tell the truth from a variety of different locations. And, uh, yeah, even on my time off, I like to go out and, and be doing interesting things. Today I got to go to a wonderful art museum and look at some 15th to early 20th century um, art from all over the world from Turkish, you know, it's, it's called the, uh, uh, from Turkish art to Iranian, Chinese, uh, French, all types of 
fascinating, you know, kind of uh, uh, artifacts from all over the place. I'm just enjoying my time off. That's what I'm doing. Speaking of which, have you been to Spain, actually? I have been spending quite a bit of time in Spain, actually, recently. Have you been to to the Guggenheim there? I have not been to the Guggenheim. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I have an idea, yes. I forget where it is, but I've never been. uh, Although we mentioned Australia before because it was random. But uh, in, in Australia, there's a great Spanish section. In Sydney, uh, basically like Spain town. Does that make sense? And they have really good sangria and really good tapas and, and stuff like that there. So if I'm ever in the neighborhood, I'll look it up. The, uh, the museum is, I was at today is called the, the Gulbenkian Museum. It's uh, probably the, the best modern art museum in, in Lisbon. Uh, but I'm not even that much of a, a museum guy. I just kind of took a a chance with my day off. Well, you could have fooled me. You sound like you made yourself sound very cultured, Wyatt. <laughs> well, so, I do my best, Lee. You're, you know me. No, I know you do a great job. So, have you been following? We talked about it a little yesterday. This Liz Trust phone hack, and the story to me is not the phone hack; it's what it revealed. Have you been following that at all, Wyatt? I've been doing my best. It's pretty unclear at this point in time exactly what was revealed by that hack. I don't, I'm not sure if that's public information. So that to me, that's kind of the main thing that's holding me back from really fully analyzing the situation. Well, it's Rod and I talked about this, my producer last night. It's very underreported. There's almost no one reporting it. But the head of MI6 and MPs in England have admitted her phone was hacked. And right. I'll, I'll, make it, I'll make a weird analogy. I'll say this is like a black hole. Let me explain. When a black hole happens, you can't see the black hole, but you see things around it change. In other words, a star veers off or, or whatever. Does that make sense? So even though we don't see exactly what was revealed in the Lestros hack, Russia was making very definite statements. That's one thing right. that I think. And we also know that the the defense secretary for England suddenly went to Washington about a week ago, right. ago about 10 days ago, and said communications are not secure with uh, Washington and the U.S. I'm sorry, with Washington and for some British politicians. He said that. So you see what I'm saying? Well, you know. Yeah, the timing is certainly very interesting, to say the least. Uh, you know, and, and, and I can't even say for sure what exactly the, the justification was for why he flew to, to Washington. I have heard it reported right. the same as you said that, yes, this was because they considered their communication infrastructure to be insecure and unable to sustain whatever kind of level of conversation they were hoping to have. And, you know, that to me, obviously, it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, you know. So, yeah, on this on some level, it's, it's hard not to escape these conclusions that, OK, 
this most likely was uh, this, uh, the real deal when we're talking about this kind of hack. Most likely, yes, they, uh, but I mean, most likely, yes, they did. And, uh, the Russian-based hackers, I mean, can, can manage to uh, secure some kind of information that indicated basically that the U.S. was co-authoring these uh, various sabotage infrastructure uh, attacks on the infrastructure of uh, Crimean targets of war of ships uh, of the Russian fleet in the Crimean Sea and that uh, in, the, in the Black Sea, I should say, and that they have been doing all of this uh, basically, you know, since the war began, if you believe a number of the details which have been released by a bombshell new report uh, by the Grey Zone that found that basically these Brit there are British spies which are constructing a secret terror army in Ukraine. That's the headline here. Um, they point out basically the fact that this ex-British intelligence operative, uh, ex, if you care to believe what they say about that, um, but this former supposedly British intelligence operative named Chris Donnelly was basically in charge of a liaison that turned into a direct uh, link between a number of saboteur cells uh, on the part of the Ukrainian secret services and uh, the British government itself. That's what, according to a trove of leaked emails that demonstrate uh, that basically the same group that was caught um, many, many months ago uh, plotting openly to destroy the bridge in the Kerch Sea, the uh, Crimean bridge, uh, which, as everyone remembers, the Ukrainian government uh, ended up crowing about immediately. They were all bragging about this. They even released a commemorative stamp within a couple of days of this uh, attack on civilian infrastructure. And uh, it was a suicide attack, by the way, right? They, uh, yes. by all accounts, it was a, a, we don't even know whether the driver who was in there was a witting accomplice. They may have simply suicide bombed uh, a poor unsuspecting truck driver. But uh, all of these documents point to the fact that this same people who were plotting a terrorist attack, which actually mimics closer to the imagery that you see on the stamp rather than what happened in reality. Uh, in the stamp, you see two explosions at two crucial uh, points. And that is what happens exactly in these documents that were now leaked, in which this former British intelligence agent, Chris Donnelly, is revealed uh, to have plotted the attacks on the Kerch Bridge. He suggested two particular strikes against two particular points of the bridge. That was what was drawn out on the stamp, which was clearly um, you know, commissioned well before because it was released just a couple days later. It was clearly uh, work long time in the making. So this entire group of uh, British operatives seems to now basically be have, have been revealed as the crucial nexus between the Kiev regime forces carrying out all these uh, strikes, the recent strikes in Sevastopol with marine-based drones and the Courage Bridge attack uh, with the British government more directly. So I would guess that um, somebody has managed to get their hands on this and leaked it. And 
you know, one of the only outlets that will uh, publish what are clearly legitimate emails uh, in this day and age is the gray zone. And they have put up an excellent analysis of that, which I highly recommend uh, your audience looks up. People can go to the gray zone to check that out. And that was written by a former Sputnik correspondent, Kip Klarenberg, which I, do you know Kip, Kip at all? I do. Yeah, I have a, a, a good relationship with Kit. He's an excellent reporter, one of the one of the best we got. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Kit was always he's the guy who exposed the integrity initiative. And he's been on the show before. I've interviewed him, and I was very happy. Well, to the see. fascinating thing—the fascinating thing—is that uh, you know I I didn't know how much time we have. I didn't want to even necessarily get into it. But Chris Donnelly was the 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 founder of this basically nexus between uh, the Ukrainian terror sabotage on Russian infrastructure and uh, Russian civilian targets in recent days, and the British government. He was also the guy in charge of the integrity initiative. So. Uh, Interesting. You know that that shouldn't be missed. That's an important point to uh, take home. Yeah, Kit's done really fantastic work, and you know, so I want to mention him. But people go to the gray zone if you haven't seen that story. It's Kit's always very well documented. Does that make sense, Wyatt? Yeah, Kit's an excellent writer, and he doesn't write anything about having double or triple checked it. So, you know, that's another thing that kind of separates uh, some of us here on, you know, Sputnik News and the other guys in the mainstream media is we actually have to know our facts because we're under a microscope and anything we say that's wrong, we know we'll get attacked for. Um, so, no, we, we do our, our homework, and Kit's not, you know, he's not working for uh, Sputnik anymore. He's um, totally, totally independent journalist, and uh, you know, I think that just makes some people angrier to because it, it well, shows obviously that there are so many yeah. of us out here that are not doing this for a paycheck. We're doing it because we know the truth is the truth. Uh, well, I was taking some unearned pride in the fact that he's a Sputnik alumni. Does that make sense? But you're right. But I know it's about you too, Wyatt. If you weren't working for Sputnik tomorrow and you were independent, your views would not change. You would not suddenly come out, correct? I mean, you, you'd you still be you, wherever you want. Absolutely. Right? I, I, I have the same beliefs, and I have the same beliefs around Russia, Ukraine that I've had for six or seven years. You know, uh, I understood all this. Um, in 2016, 2017, and that was, you know, enough for me to understand how BS all of the Russiagate stuff was, how all of this has been kind of a big political game in some senses, and it's been a long time coming. And it's all wrapped up with the same thing that you were talking about with your guests earlier, with um, Howard Killer, I think. Uh, I'm always impressed with, with that particular guest's insight. Uh but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with, with the Kyrie narrative now that, that we were talking about as well. And basically, they, there is this new – the Integrity Initiative is just part of it, right? Because that was kind of the, the British prototype for the things that we saw in the United States, like the disinformation board, uh, the, 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 the official attempts to police speech, um, this huge freakout over Elon Musk owning Twitter – 
this, all of this, you know, the attacks on Kyrie, the attacks on Kanye West, on well, basically any black man who dares. Yeah. And and so in the integrity initiative, before we move on from that, do you remember that Nina Yankovic was part of that? The person who was put in charge of the Biden Ministry of Truth, Nina Yankovic, was part of the integrity initiative. Did you see that? Why? Well, right. And that's and, and she's the kind of she's the woman who's coming out and. You know, if you look at some of her TikTok videos where she's not dancing around like some kind of like um, thriller version of like uh, Mary Poppins, you know, some of her other videos, yes. she's going out and defending. Um, she's saying like, oh, there is no deep state. There is no deep state. It's like, really? They put you up to this? They picked you like the single most like like deep state personified bizarro human you're the one that's going to come out and say there is no deep state. You know, that to me is like, oh, that was the moment. I was like, you know, I guess they're like, they just must be a deep state because why else would some person like this so vehemently deny it? Yes. Well, it's gaslighting. What they want you to do, I think, not you specifically, but everybody and you, they want you to see something and then somehow ignore it because is not hard to connect these dots. These dots connect themselves. As you point out, this is the truth is not hard to figure out. But when so many people tell you, ignore the truth, it makes it a little tricky. Does this make sense, Rod? Absolutely. Why? Yeah, well, all of these people, these are the people who are in charge of truth. They're in charge of deciding what's real and what's not. They've decided, you know, they've dictated the terms of this privileged discourse, which finds that, you know, now, I, I guess somebody named, like Kyrie, you know, who's made it from the hood, like he's somehow more privileged than, you know, white Jews in America. Uh, it's it's basically this, like this whole kind of thing turns itself on its head. You you see basically the, the limits of, uh, of, of the entire thing and, and where it needs to, it, it turns into a snake eating its own tail in some sense. And I mean, that's, that's the horrifying moment that we find ourselves in is basically anyone who goes above and beyond, who dares to look past the curtain and see what's on the, really on the other side, they're going to be destroyed by the system. They're going to be taken out. Um, they're going to be labeled crazy now. Now they don't kill you anymore. You know, before they would they would kill people, and now they just they just make you out to be crazy in the mass media, and a lot of people believe it. And it's enough to pers- dissuade other people from ever saying the same things. But you know, we're talking about the same U.S. government that's now branding Kanye and Kyrie as anti-Semites. Uh, it's the same U.S. government that's giving how many, what, $40 billion in weapons to the Ukrainian regime that openly uh, has neo-Nazi regiments in its formally integrated into its armed services. I mean, this is, you know, we're giving how many billions of dollars of weapons to open Nazis, and now we're, we're policing who is and isn't anti-Semitic. Like, that's the priority. Uh, it's just... Something doesn't add up here, and I think pretty much everybody who's listening knows it. Yes, 
And the money that they have left over from Ukraine, they have the money to give to Big Pharma. Have you noticed that? Because the Kyrie thing is really a lot about Big Pharma. Is a lot. He was a vax heretic, and he questioned that. And Kyrie was not at risk of COVID nineteen. Does that make sense, Wyatt? He was not going to die. So much of that narrative is is kind of falling apart now with the revelations that that they apparently knew that this wouldn't stop the spread, um, and that a whole bunch of people took it that apparently didn't need to take it. Um, a lot of the a lot of this narrative is kind of unraveling, and and Kyrie was the guy who basically stood up and said, you know what, I'm not taking this thing that I don't want to take. And he, in many ways, was responsible for leading to a wave, and especially in the New York, New Jersey area, of people kind of saying, you know what, like we don't want, we don't necessarily feel comfortable taking this either. Um, and they destroyed him for it. And then, you know, I think now they're really coming to to really kind of break his neck to, to basically grind him in, in the dirt and make sure he never gets back up. And, so Wyatt, uh, it's let all me ask tragic. you, it's, it's almost time to go, for you to go because but, but it's a great conversation as always, but we're almost at the top of the hour. So let me ask you one final question, Wyatt. Do you agree, because people say it every election, this is the most important election of a lifetime. But do you think this midterm election and the Democrats getting out of power, losing control of Congress. Do you think this is an especially important election? Wyatt Reed. Well, it might be in the sense, in the opposite sense of how they portray it, because for the first time in my life, the Democrats are just openly far more bellicose, far more warlike, far more openly chanting, rah, 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 we will do whatever it takes, we want boots on the ground than the Republicans. So, you know, the Republicans are the only party that has voiced any kind of concern in terms of the World War Three nuclear Armageddon type of situation we are increasingly looking like we find ourselves in. And now the Democrats are just pursuing, banging on the drums of war at every available opportunity. In some sense, it could be that it could be that, but not in the way that the liberals have said it for years, I think in the opposite way. So, uh, you know, I think I'm with you on that one in some sense, Lee. Yeah. So, Wyatt, great conversation. Thanks so much for spending some time with on your vacation. Have a nice time in Portugal. Wyatt Reed, the great correspondent and brave because the Ukrainians tried to kill him, almost hit him with a missile. But why it's okay, and he's in Portugal. Enjoy some sangria or whatever you have there, Wyatt. We'll be back with more backstory after a short break on the backstory. Backstory, the show that takes you to the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. 
I'll admit it. Investigative is still a tough word for me. Did did it make any sense, Rod? Or did I pull Fetterman? <laughs> no, you, you did good, Lee. And uh, just to let you know, we had a uh, guest change. Uh, t- um, Tom had a call out. Um, and we have uh, Ted Raw coming on 530. Okay, the great Ted Raw will be with us. Because, I, you know, while I host the show, I've also been troubleshooting my video setup here. And I'm doing it all basically blind. So, but I've got some graphics for Ted that are very nice. So, Ted Rawl, joining us at the end of the show. Rod, why don't you take us to the break? The boom. Now it's the break. Still on the radio, the backstory. So, a couple of people called in about that candidate in New York. And someone from that, uh, who's a LaRouche fan, but she's also against the Ukraine war. Do you know what I mean, Rod? Yeah, they, uh, Diane Sawyer. Uh, no, it's not Diane. So it's like, but it's it looks like that. I can't. I don't know why I can't say her name right now. Sayer. I think it's Diane Sayer. Yes, that's right. Has her person been in touch with you? Uh, not yet. I haven't seen yet. Okay, they reached out to me, and so I sent them to you. So hopefully, we can get them on maybe Monday before the election would be nice. But uh, great appearance by Wyatt Reed. Don't you think? Wyatt's a very good guy and knows a lot. Yeah, no, that's why I reached out to Wyatt Lee. He was uh, he was talking about, you know, the distraction of making uh, Kyrie Irving the biggest anti-Semite. But at the same time, we're supporting these neo-Nazis in Ukraine. So this is all a deflection. Uh, and they're using they're using a black man as a as a deflection. But it's not racist, you know. Well, so let's let's actually we got clips about that. Let's start with New York radio host details how Jewish media, music execs, move as a unit. Set this up a little for us. What is this clip about? Um, this is a radio host on the Breakfast Club in New York's in New York City. His name is Charlemagne the God, and you might remember him, Lee. He's uh, the infamous clip of uh, Joe Biden telling him virtually that uh, you ain't black if you don't vote Biden. And this is him speaking to uh, Vlad TV, who uh, Al Killers talked about, who's uh, he's pretty much is an industry plant. He's protected by the industry and Lear Cohen and people like that. But anyway, he's a Ukrainian Jew, and they're having a conversation about Jewish people. And Charlemagne, uh, he's pretty much saying what's happening to Kyrie now that he doesn't he doesn't even have he doesn't he doesn't even feel comfortable talking about Jewish people. Yeah, I can see why. Look, you know. And, and that's why it's been great to be able to have Yakov on the show, because it really squared the circle for me in my thinking about it. A lot of times when people complain, and they say stuff about Jews. They're not talking about Jews. They're talking about people who, whose parents may have been Jews or grandparents, but they're atheists. Let, let's play this clip from the Breakfast Club. Hit it. You beat the boys, drink. Drake, you know, uh, Mac Miller, Shine. No, Shine don't count. Shine, shine, shine definitely don't count. Shine, shine, no, no, Shine don't count. Shine, you, you got to be born into it. Like, I don't, like, I, I remember asking somebody just so I can just learn to, you know, I don't want to sound stupid because I'm not well versed on it, but I, I can actually learn the Jewish religion and become Jewish. Like, if, if so, sign me up. But no, it's not, they don't respect, I don't think they don't respect shine. 
It's a bloodline thing. It's a culture. Like, but, but, but it, it depends who looks at it. You know, like a, like a, a, a very, like a Hasidic Jew, a conservative Jew will only consider you Jewish if your mother is Jewish. But, you know, other, other Jews, you, you can actually convert into it and stuff like that. It's just not, like, 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 like Jews don't go out and try to, uh, recruit people into the religion like, you know, certain Christians and, mm-hmm. and Muslims. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even feel comfortable talking about this. I'm sweating right now. I don't... There's certain things I don't like to talk about and I love Jewish people. But they're powerful. I don't want them to misconstrue anything I'm saying or take anything I'm saying the wrong way. So... I would much rather not even have this conversation. I have a lot of great Jewish people in my corner. I have a Jew. I have a Jewish conglomerate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, the other Jewish rappers we had on the list. There's, like, I think, uh, Asherat is half Jewish. I think we put him in the list. Well, he needs to start claiming the whole Jews so he can start prospering because he's doing bad right now. Having to get a lot of noise out of him. exactly. <laughs> That's the thing, though. Too, if you, if you if you are what you are, claim it, man. Especially if you're Jewish, and then, and then you start kind of running out of people. I mean, there is uh, this necro, I believe. You know why? Because MC Search, Search. Listen, I, I didn't know he was, but the problem is like, you know why there's not a lot of Jewish rappers because there's Jewish owners and Jewish CEOs. They run these labels. <laughs> They're the bosses. That's why. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> well, what did Kanye say? He said, uh, "Happy Kwanzaa to all the artists and Happy It's the truth. They run. They run the business. Period. From Hollywood to the music industry, everything. And I mean, it's it's, it's a very powerful mafia, as they should be. You saw. See the problem with black people. We don't have no power. No matter what we do, we can all click up. We don't have no organization that has holds anyway. And the police, if you don't hold no weight, we don't have no organization that holds no weight. You can't speak bad about a Jewish person because they have organizations and they're a close knit group of people in power who will bring you down. Same thing with gays. You can't say nothing bad about gays because they move as a unit. So that's for breakfast of Rod. Do we have any way of getting? Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro on the Breakfast Club, because I think he would really help them. Does that make sense? A lot of the confusion that Charlemagne was saying there, I think is cured by Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. Yeah, no, he he, uh, he lets you know from the very beginning that it's confusing and he, and he thinks it's a cultural thing. You have to be born into it. And it is confusing. A lot of people have no idea, you know, if you can convert or you have to be born into it. Um, and, and how it's perceived by other Jewish people. And, but I don't think they would have him on. I think they're more pro-Zionist, so they would have on someone, a rabbi who's pro-Zionist, to, to confuse people even more. But, you know, the thing I liked about Yaakov, before I even met him, as, is that I had never heard of him, and I had never heard of anti-Zionist ra- rabbis. And when I saw the meeting they did at a Coliseum on Long Island, and I saw that there was no media coverage. And the first time I talked to him, I asked him, I said, because, you know, Yakov and his group, they protest outside APAC every year in D.C., the pro-Israel lobby. And I asked him, 
does the mainstream media ever cover you? And he told me they turn their cameras to avoid getting them in the picture. So what does that tell you? That the media refuses to cover Yakov. See, what Charmaine was talking about there, I'm going to disagree with him slightly. There's plenty of powerful black people. There's plenty of powerful black people. But the problem is, as soon as you go against the narrative, see, Black Lives Matter, I would say the people who lead that group, Black Lives Matter. Patrice Collins, would you say she's a powerful black woman? Mm, I would say used to. I would say used to. So for a period of time, she was. Right. And when she was that person, a powerful, making a lot of money and having a lot of power in Hollywood and in Washington, was when she went along with the Democrats' agenda. Does that make sense? If you go, if you're Jewish and you don't support the agenda, like Yakov, you don't get any media coverage. You don't get any support. And if you're black and don't support the agenda, you don't get any support. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, 100%. Lee. And, um, you know, when I got this clip, uh, you know, I, I was talking about how Kanye mentioned, uh, you know, he's back on Twitter, t too, also. So he's been reinstated. Uh, he was posting text messages of people sending him texts that they're threatening him, sending him back in a mental institution. And it just reminded me when he was talking about how he, he saw Rahm Emanuel as a, as a handler for Obama. And then I looked up his brother, Ari Emanuel, who the show Entourage is based on. Yes. And he, about six months ago, he did a uh, conference in Chicago, and he's talking about all these pillars of uh, media that he owns. And I forgot that he's a big part of the UFC. And if you notice, the UFC is always going to the Middle East now, Saudi Arabia and uh, the UAE to do fights now. So this, you know, and then, then he's also owns uh, gambling. So yeah, you see gambling on sports everywhere, then that's where it comes from. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying that's strictly Ari Emanuel, not anything to do with Jewish, but that's, you know, once you bring it up, like Ari Emanuel's a part of this, is oh, it's anti-Semitic, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and it's not, but let's go to the calls, because Brave from Atlanta is on the line, 202-521-1320. Hey, Brave, how you doing? What's on your mind? Hey, happy Friday, guys. Um, I want Happy Friday. Yeah, I want to touch on what you got on the current conversation with, and also kind of uh, follow up on my um, on the conversation uh, yesterday with uh, Jason, right? I believe it was yesterday. Today's kind of blended together, right? But um, uh, there, there's a lot of nuance to this conversation. First, first uh, uh, Charlemagne has actually, there's been a, a new video that's come out with him from um, uh, the Useful Idiots, um, uh, pot, no, I'm sorry, uh, Brilliant Idiots. Uh, podcast that he does um, at where he's actually uh, going further. And it, and it sounds like since he's been getting hit on that, that clip that you guys played uh, earlier, I think he's kind of um, uh, changing his angle a little bit and actually, and, and I guess he's trying to get get around it so he can, so he can not seem like as if he's a, a hypocrite, which he still is. But um, what, I, what I wanted to say is that there, there is some nuance in this conversation, right? Um, like when Jason was saying the other day that, um, you know, being a Jew working in Hollywood, he didn't feel like he benefited. I, I think that, um, again, the, the overall problem with the way he made his point and addressed the issue is being um, overly uh, general, right? As if, as if it's not it's not reasonable for anyone to believe that everyone within this within this group, every single Jew or every single black 
will fall under this category. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's it was it's more a conversation. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, it's more a conversation about um, these power. In this case, these powerful. Um, and, and I mean, you can't. I, I understand the, the the idea of pretending like it's anti-Semitic when you are addressing the actual uh, group who are owners, CEOs of these uh, different industries, right? And they are Jewish, like they are largely Jewish, right? Um, that, I don't understand how that because it and, and what's getting lost in the conversation. I feel is that. Um, because everybody's getting caught up in like, oh, he's made an anti-Semitic conversation, or oh, it's real, or it's not real, and all of that stuff. And, and uh, but no one is getting to the point about it's okay to talk of, to to make this music, to be pushed to make this music, where all these derogatory things are said uh, about uh, black people within the community, right? You, you, we are, we, we everybody on this call knows what hip hop is, what rap is. And where it's gone to, and the, and the, most of the images that are pushed, there's never a problem. You ain't never heard nobody on MSNBC or CNN or, or anybody on TMZ try to cancel any of these rappers for for saying for calling for the N words. The people on YouTube and, and Twitter for you know doing the drill stuff where they're showing their guns and who they're gonna pull up on. That's never canceled, right? So it, it that that is the conversation that he, that is totally being missed in this. But this well. Well, well, wait one second, Brave, because you used a word that I want you to explain. I'm too white. So I've heard about drill, but I don't exactly know what it is. It's a subgenre like trap, for instance, I think. But explain that. You you talked about drill, correct? Right, yeah. Is that what you, yeah, so explain what that is. Yeah, so in layman's terms, uh, drill music is, is a, is a uh, category of rap where it's heavily um, based in gang culture, and I, I think it's, I think it was like it's got it's got its roots in uh from Chicago, and someone who's even deeper. I'm not a fan, right? Could 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 clarify it even more. But as far as I know, it's got its roots in Chicago. But it's, it's music based heavily around uh, uh, gang culture, not in, in a in a way that gang that that gangster music out of out of the West Coast is not. It's, it's a it's a whole different vibe with these with these kids on this drill music stuff because. They're all young. First of all, first and foremost, they're all young, and these kids don't care. They don't care, and it's not just a. a, a yeah, you now li- that's lyrically, musically, what it's like. Because I don't know if you know this, Brave, and I'm serious, and I'm going to sound ridiculous, but I make beats. Actually, I'm an electronic musician, and uh, so musically, was it like? No, I, I, yeah, I see your studio setup. Um, it's uh, I, I would I would tell anybody that wants to take a look at it, figure it out, um, to to go on YouTube and just uh, or just Google drill music. It's it's uh, it's aggressive. It's heavily aggressive, and it's about uh, okay. You see what I'm saying? Like in a way that I mean, it's, it's got its own vibe. Like these cats is in these videos, and they're just waving like these young cats are just waving uh, like crazy uh, uh, weaponry. Right, it's it's crazy. It's 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 crazy. It's it's the uh, I think I've seen some of those videos. Yeah, yeah. Violent version of what we would call what we would call gangster music, uh, because there's a level of uh, emotional and moral detachment that that um, goes along with it. And I've heard people speaking about the vibrations of that music and what it does to these young kids because they're all listening to it and they're all just taking it in and they don't even even realize it, right? But um, or maybe they do. I don't know. But the point still remains that um. 
There's no questioning of that. There's no challenging of that. You know, saying that you don't, you're not, you're not going to see anybody on the View say, "Hey, you can't say that or shouldn't say that." In this, so and that, so when he's making the point that even when Charlemagne's making the point um, that uh, black people don't have any power, um, therefore we don't have any any groups that stand up and say, "Hey, you can't do this in the way that." Um, let, let's say um, uh, APAC does when it comes to uh, the politics of Israel and, and our congressmen and senators um, saying anything that they don't like. Right? They, they shut it down immediately. And then the media immediately follows suit. And whoever made the comment, whether it was the worst comment or the, the least aggressive comment or kind of even makes sense, they're able to shut them down and say that's anti-Semitic. They call Bernie Sanders, who is Jewish, anti-Semitic. You see what I'm saying? So it makes you, it makes you one would have to one would have to consider that at some point it's not so much about being anti-Semitic as it is another form of controlling the voices that are speaking out against certain things. Kanye West may not be the most um, articulate person, right? But he ain't that far off with the conversation. I think it should have been said a different way, but he ain't that far off in the conversation. And so many more people have come out now speaking to that because you're talking about something specific to the entertainment industry and very specific to the rap industry. There's now, Brave. Let me ask you to hang on one second because I got another clip here. Let's play the media and Big Pharma. Let's play that clip. Okay. Command Central, you got that? Okay. Listen to this clip and tell me what you think of it, Brave. Hit it. One thing I never say because it's so pretentious. Well, I don't agree with everything such and such says. Well, yeah, you're not supposed to. I mean, that, that's the height of arrogance to think that anyone is supposed to be in lockstep with your thoughts and comments. Now, with that said, Charles Barkley and the rest of that crew, they can't say anything else. Under their position with corporate legacy media and the salaries they make, the safest position you can take in NBA journalism and media is to just go against Kyrie Irving in anything. If Kyrie Irving said the earth was flat, oh, by the way, he did that already. All right, that bad example. If he said the sky was purple, disagree with him and you're on the right side. If he said that cows could fly, you know what? Disagree with them. Okay? And he could say anything, but as long as you're on the opposite side of whatever he says, that's the approved messaging. And, and that's very unfortunate that even a guy like Charles Barkley, who has FU money and FU status, has to capitulate. What do you think of my assertion that this is really about the jab and not about the tweet? There's a lot of truth to it. I think it goes back to it. If we go back a year or so, the fact that he took such a hard stance and had enough guts to tell the media, uh, my body, my choice. I think it goes back to that, that he started to wear, I guess, his version of the scarlet letter, that, yes, he became a marked man and someone that would be described as a heretic. OK, and that, that simply is not acceptable. But I have a question for all these people badgering Kyrie Irving now. In essence, aren't you telling him, ironically, to just shut up and dribble? I mean, isn't he allowed to have his own opinion, whether you agree with it or not? It, it, the, what, I, what I have a problem with is whether you agree or disagree with Kyrie. The questioning from certain members of the media, it, it's more like an inquisition than just stating, like, I want to know what your opinion is and what your reasoning is. I'm not trying to investigate you and try to turn state's evidence or try to change your opinion. I see way too much of this. 
as it relates to the questioning of that particular individual. Okay, I'm like when I interview somebody, Jason, I don't know about you. I actually want to get your thoughts. I'm not trying to change your opinion. I actually just want to see what do you think about certain things. Like I interview. So obviously, I agree completely with that philosophy. So I want to know what you think, Brave. What do you think of that clip? No, I, I would I would agree with that. And um, I think I said it yesterday. They they've been going at uh, Kyrie for for a while now, and and anyone that comes out against um, the, the narrative, especially when it comes uh, to, the, to, the, uh, to the jab, I'll say, right? That's, it, and it's crazy how much information has come out, but we still uh, conduct ourselves as if it's not happening, as if there aren't any side effects, as if all these things, that all this information has been released uh, against Pfizer's will um, hasn't come out. And, and I think that's I think that's pretty uh, I think it's pretty funny and sad at the same time. Great call, Brave. Thanks so much. Great call as usual. So, Rod, where do you think this Kyrie thing is going to go? Do you think because I saw some of the letters that the Nets had put out, and he didn't apologize enough. Apparently, was the crux of one letter. And Kyrie does not seem like a guy who's got hate in his heart. Lately, he, if you look at his past, he's more of a leftist. Uh, he's, a, he's a promoted uh, progressive DAs that are even more more left than Larry Krasner. So uh, it's just like you said, you know, when he came onto the to the scene, when he didn't want to take the vaccine, uh, when, when they were being forced to. Um, and you asked me where it's going to end. He's been suspended for five days, and he had to pay $500,000 to the ADL um, so he was extorted money to the ADL. Um, and then the commissioner, uh, Adam Silver, is going to have a conversation with him. Um, I didn't know Adam. So I guess he, they should take Rabbi Yakov with them, Lee. So that, that'd, be, that'd be great. Um, but I, to me, I've been saying they want, they want to end Kyrie's career. Uh, he's made a lot of money. He's he been, uh, like Al Killer said, he is a great uh, point guard um, of, of his era. Uh, very unique. But they, I think they want to end his career. Uh, they do not want him around. They already fired the coach. They want they want him done. So, but it's not going to work because ultimately, the basketball team needs a good player, right? See, this is this is where it cancels itself out because the basketball players are kind of like you know we just want this to go away. They're already saying it like okay, you know we kind of just want this to go away and we want to get back to basketball because this is obviously we're talking about you know religion and, and stuff like this, so it's getting over their heads. But the media is still like, no, 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 he has to pay. And like you said, he's already, you know, she's already said, how can I be anti-Semitic? He put out an apology. But like you said, he hasn't apologized enough. Yeah. And uh, in a sense, I feel bad for leftists. People who are on the left, and I'll talk to Ted Rawl about this coming up. But I feel bad because people on the left who are good people, not all people on the left are good people. But I know a lot of people who are on the left who are Democrats because they viewed Republicans as racist and bigots, and they're not. Does that make sense, Rod? Some people are Democrats because they don't want to be Republican, because they view Republicans as racist. And I'm going to say that they're sincere in that belief. And so they go, well, I'm not racist, so I don't want to be those people. And then they became Democrats, and they're on a party that is more racist than the Republicans 
have been, I think, ever. So what do you think, Rod? Last final thoughts, and then we'll bring on Ted. No, I don't I don't group people necessarily just by what uh, what I hear, whatever the narrative it is. I take it by a case by case basis. But unfortunately, the Democrats have been taken over by some of the nastiest people, uh, you know, we've seen. So and, and they let it be known. Yeah, right. No. Yeah. I was just saying I, I know some people who live in, let's say, the South. And they've told me they said, if you're in the South where I am, if you're white, you're a Republican. And if you're black, you're a Democrat, period. They said, you can see someone at a 7-Eleven you've never met. And by the skin color, you can tell what party they are at. Does that make sense, Rod? Some parts of the country are like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now when we talk about that, yeah, it does, unfortunately, it does get like that. Yeah, so let's take a short break. And when we come back on The Backstory, we've got the great Ted Raw with us on The Backstory. backstory and on the radio in Washington DC the capital of the empire of lies on 105.5 FM AM 1390 joined now by the great author cartoonist and bon vivant Ted Rawl how you doing Ted I'm great Lee how are you doing I'm doing fine uh, so obviously the election is about four days away and right now Things are not, as we say, looking good for the Democrats. Apparently, the numbers are like this. There are six states in the Senate that are toss-ups right now. The most recent one to flip to become a toss-up is New Hampshire. New Hampshire, the Democratic candidate has a solid lead. Now it's a toss-up. And if the, if the, they split the, that, the Democrats and the Republicans. If the Republicans win half of those six states, forgive me, if they win half of the six states, if they win three states, then the Republicans control the Senate with 51 votes. If they win all six, they've got a 54, you know, you know, vote lead. Not not 54 ahead, but they've got 54 votes. So Ted. Does this jive with what you're seeing about the Democrats and the Republicans this Tuesday? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm seeing, Lee. Um, it's, uh, it's, I think it's going to be uh, obviously uh, a, a red wave. Um, you know, one of the things I'm good at is pattern recognition. And you're just seeing all these numbers uh, move beyond just tightening up into uh, moving things, uh, away, taking points away from Democrats and uh, giving them to the Republicans. Uh, you know, there's some races here that you just a week ago would not have said would have gone Republican. And now, like, for example, in Pennsylvania, to Mehmet Oz, you, you have to say he's probably going to beat John Fetterman there. Uh, there's, you know, there's the, the New Hampshire thing is is amazing. Um, here in New York, the gubernatorial race of uh, Kathy Hochul, uh, she's in real jeopardy uh, 
of losing her seat to Lee, Lee Zeldin, which is, I think, would be the big, polit- even though it's not going to change the balance of power in Washington, would be the big political shocker on Tuesday. Now, we were talking about you, Ted, when you weren't on the show. And we're saying the last time you were on the show, you, to your horror, you're not saying that you think Lee Zeldin's going to win because you like Lee Zeldin or because you're a Republican fan. We're pointing out that you're horrified by this, right, Ted? Yeah, I don't. When I make when I prognosticate, uh, I know some people do this, you know, just they prognosticate in accordance with their wishes as if they were warlocks who could change the outcome. I don't do that. I, I just say I call what I think is going to happen. Uh, I, I already voted. I, I certainly would never vote for Lee Zeldin. He, I, I despise him, but I do think he, he stands, a, stands a very strong chance of winning. Now, did you vote for the 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 Democrat? No, I did not. I did. Uh, Kathy Hochul is way too far to the right for me, and I voted. I I did a write-in, and I voted for the Green Party uh, candidates, um, Howie Hawkins and Gloria Herrera, uh, both of whom uh, were kicked off the ballot in New York State because in the last cycle the Green Party failed to get two percent of the vote. Uh, because the Democratic Party urged everybody, you know, to vote against the existential threat that they characterized Trump as. So uh, I wanted to support the Green Party. I, I believe in democracy. I think democracy democracy requires more than two parties. So uh, that's what I did. Yeah, and I think that's a good principle, Sand. I only asked because you said you didn't vote for Zeldin, and that's not a surprise to me. But I actually would have been surprised, Ted, as well as I know you, which, you know, is radio well. You know, we don't hang out or anything. But uh, I do I do know, and I've come to admire you a lot for your principled stand. So I'm not surprised by your answer. Well, thank you. And, and, say, and I, would like to, I would like to hang out, Lee. <laughs> Actually, sure, sure. I would hang out with you, but you don't get to South Dakota much. So, well, we, we, that's right. That that is true. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. So let me horrify you some more. I'm going to play a clip, and this is Tucker Carlson, and I, I'll bet actually you agree with this clip more than you disagree with that. And if I had said to you at some point randomly, like five years ago, Lee's going to play a clip. By Tucker Carlson, and you'll agree with most of it. You would have found that bizarre, right? Uh, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. So let's say what Tucker has to say. Maybe this will be the clip that you do not, because we talked to Wyatt Reed before, and you know Wyatt, he's a principled person on the left, but he's pointed out that Tucker's been saying some stuff that he agrees with. Does that make sense? Totally. Well, I, I know I've heard Tucker talk about some things that uh, I uh, I agreed with, uh, you know, in, in the last year or so, I, I think. And I know if he says stuff you disagree with, you'll disagree, you'll say you disagree, and there'll be an intelligent reason. I might not agree with it, but it's not just going to be like, I don't like his look. I don't like the way he smiles. It won't be, or he's a Republican. I hate those guys. So let's hit it. Play the Tucker Club. Hit it, Command Central. Why are we telling you all this? Well, because you're hearing a lot about democracy lately. So it's important to understand which version they're talking about. Joe Biden gave a speech about democracy last night. Here's part of what he said. There's something else at stake. 
democracy itself. I'm not the only one who sees it. We must vote knowing what's at stake and not just the policy of the moment, but institutions that have held us together as we sought a more perfect union are also at stake. We must vote knowing who we have been, what we're at risk of becoming. This is the struggle we're now in, a struggle for democracy, a struggle for decency and dignity, a struggle for prosperity and progress, a struggle for the very soul of America itself. Make no mistake, democracy is in the ballot for all of us. Democracy is on the ballot, says Joe Biden. No, Joe Biden, the names of candidates are on the ballot. Democracy is not on the ballot because democracy is not determined by the outcome of an election. Democracy is the election itself. Democracy is the process by which citizens choose how they will be governed according to their own desires. That's their choice. It's not yours. But Joe Biden is telling you the opposite, and you should know that. He's telling you that unless you arrive at a very specific outcome, the very outcome he commands you to arrive at, the system itself is illegitimate. We control the system. We have a moral right to control the system. Therefore, if we lose control of the system, the system itself can no longer exist. This is a dramatic misreading of what American democracy is. In American democracy, the people who control the system only have a right to control that system to the extent the public grants them that right through voting. What Biden is describing is the Soviet version of democracy, where elections exist to ratify the status quo, to bolster the cabal already in power. That's effectively what the Democratic Party is saying out loud now. Here's Barack Obama. I, I understand that democracy might not seem like a top priority right now, but we have seen throughout history, and we see right now around the world what happens when you give up on democracy. You can see it in countries where the government tells you what books you can and cannot read. Countries where if you dissent, you get put into jail. Countries where reporters are silenced. Oh, he's slick. But it's hard to believe he really means that. Quote, I understand that democracy might not seem like a top priority right now, said Barack Obama. Really? The opposite is so obviously true. Democracy is very much a top priority for so many Americans this November. And that's why you're seeing record turnout in these midterm elections. Because voters are using the only power they have, their ballots in our democracy, to punish their reckless and incompetent leaders and replace them with somebody else. So what you are seeing unmistakably is democracy in action. So Ted Rawl, what say you about what Tucker Carlson just said? I, I agree with 90, maybe uh, 85 percent of it. Uh, what I wish he had done was to tease out sort of what the Democrats' argument is, which I guess maybe the Democrats, that's their job to be doing that. And what they've been, you know, the implication basically has been, and you're supposed to put it together, which is never a good political argument, is that Republicans are anti-democracy because they denied the result of the 2020 election and because of voter suppression um, and because of January 6th the, as an alleged insurrection and attempt to overthrow the state uh, and, and, and illegally retain Trump for a second term. 
that he didn't win. But they, they don't say it. And it's all just implied. And, um, you know, I think uh, the implication, you know, in terms of election denialism, uh, you know, frankly, election denialism has been uh, part, uh, has been a bipartisan matter for really the entire history of the republic. I mean, the election of 1876 was uh, w widely viewed as fraudulent. Um, the uh, 2000 and, and election, Bush v. Gore. Let me interrupt you for one sec. I also, I, I agree, but also it is not unique to America. Elections are disputed all the time all around the world, correct? Correct, and there's nothing particularly anti-democratic about refusing to accept the result. Uh, you know, as long as you're not resorting to tanks in order to enforce that, like we might see in, you know, in Brazil um, with uh, Bolsonaro, uh, which we might not see. But that would be anti-democratic. But just being a sore loser, that just makes you impolite and rude. It doesn't make you anti-democratic. But no, and, and who brought out the tanks was Boris Yeltsin in Russia. And this is at a time when the U.S. was supporting Yeltsin. And the U.S. did not stop supporting him. They bolstered his election, election interference by the U.S. Remember, remember that? Oh, yeah. And well, I mean, the United States has a long history of supporting uh, anti-democratic movements. Obviously, we can talk about the Maidan, uh, you know, CIA-backed Maidan uprising in Ukraine, right, overthrowing a a uh, pre you know, President Yanukovych, who was, by all accounts, uh, including uh, those of international observers from the UN and the OSCE, uh, conducted totally fairly. No one disputes that the, that 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 he was elected fairly. Um, you know, and then he was overthrown, and the U.S. loved it, and uh, they they were, you know, obviously they're they're still in the tank with that. Now, I would say, and again, I know you'll disagree if you do. But I think the threat to democracy is censorship. I, I, and I mean that. There is a reason the First Amendment is the First Amendment. The Founding Fathers, I think, realized that in order to have a functioning democracy, we need free speech. We need freedom of the press, guaranteed. Because as we learned in England, England doesn't have that. That's why they were able to ban Sputnik and RT out of the box. So what say you about the importance of censorship to democracy? Ted Rawl. Uh, well, it's, it's absolutely pivotal because as Tocqueville observed, uh, the, one of the absolute um, prerequisites for uh, democracy is a well-informed, uh, well-educated and mostly in, and more to the point informed electorate. You're not gonna get that if there's censorship of candidates or ideas or issues or points of view. And obviously we have a major problem with censorship in the United States. Now, and I think I've also had this thought that part of that, they also believed you need an educated public to be in functioning democracy. But, and we're seeing battles in school boards and I generally side with the right on those, but I'm going to tell you where I disagree. A lot of people are saying we need to get critical race theory out of schools. Okay, fine. But they want to replace it with what I consider a whitewash version 
of history. I want American schools to teach the real history, for instance, of the CIA. I want them not not conjecture, but stuff we know for a fact that the CIA in 1948 was trying to interfere in the election in Italy and stuff like that. Would you agree with that, Ted? That we well, we 100%. need 100%. No, 100 yeah. percent. I mean, I, I would take issue, Lee, with the idea that critical race theory is taught in new American public schools because it's not, you know, at least I mean, there's sort of ish versions of it, but like not the thing itself. That's a college theory, really. Um, but in terms of, yeah, the, you know, we, we definitely need history to be taught, uh, you know, beyond just memorizing a bunch of uh, dry Civil War battle names, which is unfortunately what history is often has been reduced to in this country. Uh, we need we d people need to. I mean, I always thought that history really should be taught backwards chronologically. Start with the present day, and say, you know, let's well, how do we get here? And uh, you know, let, let's let's work backwards, and then just keep going back and back. I mean, that's how people, you know, for example, most people discover music. They they start they listen to what's uh, you know, on the radio or on, on Spotify now, and then they, they're like, well, what, what, you know, what groups influenced these bands that I like? And you keep going back and back, and eventually, you know, you end up, uh, you know, listening to music that's, you know, 100 years old and or more. And Lou Reed or Neil Young, generally. I'm just <laughs> saying a lot of bands were influenced by those. People said the Velvet Underground was one of those bands. They didn't sell that many albums, but they influenced so many bands. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, Chad. Yes, I, I totally do. It's true, yeah. The, the, the joke was that uh, everybody who bought the album started a band. Yes, indeed. And so, you know, Johnny Cash is another one. You'll start Snoop Dogg, you'll eventually get to Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash is amazing, although, you know, he did, he certainly obviously was a mega star in his own right. Unlike the Velvets who were playing in apartments. Right. Yeah. And by the way, anyone, if you need a music suggestion this weekend, find the live version of Johnny Cash's song, The Man in Black, the first time he recorded it. You can find it on YouTube. He just written the song. Have you have you seen that, Ted? No, not at all. It's amazing. When he gets the line, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but we lose about losing men in the war, in the Vietnam War. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, I know that there is such a line, but I don't remember the line. When he gets to that line, the audience spontaneously bursts into applause. It's very moving. It's very moving. They never heard the song before because he just wrote it. But as soon as he says that line... It, the audience, it makes you want to cry, actually. So look up on YouTube, Man in Black, Johnny Cash. That's my music suggestion. Thanks for bringing music. Sorry, Ted. I'm nerdy. I can't help it. <laughs> it's okay. Me too. So uh, let's play another clip. Let's play the Cohen clip. Because I think y y your criticism of what Tucker, I didn't think Tucker nailed it. What exactly what they're saying. But I've seen some Democrats, including Biden, say, if you vote Republicans, democracy is over. And that's, does it, you know, that make it clear? 
Yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, yeah, I have heard similar things. I mean, it's uh, kind of analogous to Biden's infamous remark on uh, the Charlemagne the God uh, podcast, where he said, you know, if you, if you vote Republican, you're not black. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of crazy. And that's, by the way, the second reference to the Breakfast Club and Charlemagne on the show. But well done, Ted. Callback is what we call an improv. And you, it was an accidental callback. You didn't know that. But let's play the clip. Michael Cohen, hit it. Right here, right now, today, in this marvelous bookstore, that if Donald Trump or any of his acolytes end up taking office or power, the, the America that we know, the democracy that we have, will be gone. And we will never get it back. So, blue wave. <laughs> now, so you don't like Donald Trump, Dad, but... Do you agree with that, possibly? Uh, you know, it's it's a, it's such a leap of logic, right? I mean, I suppose you could say, okay, in you know, Hitler came to power um, through democratic electoral politics, and uh, and then became a dictator. Um, you know, the, the the problem with the idea that Trump might do the same is that he already was president for four years. So this analogy yeah. would be like Hitler came to power, uh, served democratically, <laughs> ran for re-election, lost, albeit you know poorly, <laughs> and then you know went back to uh, went back to uh, you know his his mountain retreat, and then ran again four years later, and now this time dictatorship is on. You know that that that's that's just it's look anything's possible, uh, but it's a it's really a, it's a, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, I don't know if I have that much imagination. No, no, that's a good point. Why didn't Trump end democracy in the four years he was in office? And why is the best, you know, instead of tanks, Trump brought the QAnon shaman, a guy in a big hat. It's not exactly a tank. Do those horns shoot bullets or something? Was I missing the threat? <laughs> From the shaman, Ted? Yeah, I, I, no, I, I think not. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, I think what happened here at most is that we can speculate that, that, you know, Trump was kind of thinking there was some dry tinder, there were some sparks flying around, and maybe he'd luck out and someone would, would start something for him on January 6th. But he has total plausible deniability. That's rank speculation. Uh, and, you know, what's in his heart is not really actionable. I mean, January 6th was foul and his role was foul. But to say, you know, he's going to become a, dict a dictator and take away democracy, there's just January 6th doesn't prove that. It's, it's, it's too much of a stretch. Now, what do you think? January 6th does prove. What, what's your view on that, Ted? Say whatever you want. You know, you got I, a couple of minutes. Yeah, I think, you know, I think what it says is that he's, is that he's really reckless. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's, he, runs, he runs loose at the mouth. Um, his whole approach to getting elected uh, was to hold rallies, uh, basically say a bunch of things, anything that didn't get an applause line, hits the cutting room floor, 
everything that does get an applause line uh, gets repeated and then honed and repeated and, you know, rinse, lather, repeat. And he did that as president. And he and and when he lost uh, in, the, you know, when he lost his reelection campaign, he was I don't think he really truly believed that uh, there were, you know, crooked elections officials or the machines had been hacked or anything like that. Uh, you know, I think he just can't be perceived by the public. Part of his brand is that he doesn't lose. He always wins. So he had to be perceived, uh, if he couldn't win, he had to be perceived as someone who didn't accept losing. And I think that's, it's part of the brand. It's maybe part of his psychology, but, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but it's certainly who, that's, that's, that's his marketing and that's what his people expect. So um, when and, and the thing is that what he did was reckless. It, it led to the deaths of several people on January 6th. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, it was a destabilizing, really, you know, grim episode in American history. It was a very bad look for us on the international stage as we're purporting to dictate to other countries uh, what to do and that we supposedly set some sort of example He's he's just reckless is really the word that I would I would say. And and I mean, he's careful in some ways, like he was careful about militarism. He was careful about military expansionism. That's very admirable. But I think and he's careful about protecting himself. But he's not and he, he plays fast and loose with uh, with the reputation of the United States, the reputation of the presidency. And with, uh, and obviously with the lives of some Capitol policemen. Now, so I think you you're in a position to talk about Trump because you're a New Yorker. I would say, I'm sure you remember the phrase "short-fingered vulgarian" about Trump. Yes, yes, I do. Graydon Carter. That's right. And so, I say a lot of Trump's ball call personality problems or quirks were very obvious to anybody who's been watching Trump for 20 years in New York media. Do you think that's true, Ted Rowe? Yeah, I think, look, I think Donald Trump comes out, and don't forget I wrote a little biography of him. I think I think Trump, Trump came out of the fine American tradition of fake it until you make it. Um, and he uh, always had a chip on his shoulder because he was considered an arriviste. He was considered, uh, you know, a, a nouveau riche uh, who earned the money in a tacky way, basically through his father, who uh, made all of his money in the outer boroughs of Queens and Brooklyn. Um, you know, the way I look at it is, money is money, <laughs> and his father was very successful. Uh, but uh, and the but people he wanted. The, to, pardon me, Ted. Sorry. But the people who thought he made his money in a tacky way were the people, the old New York money. The elites, by any definition, do you agree? Yes, who who made it the old-fashioned way. They inherited it. Right, right. That's exactly right. A lot of Dutch names in there. and uh, that's, that's right. And people and, who don't live in New York don't really understand the social strata that exists. Describe the old money people in New York. Well, they belong to, uh, you know, whereas people in uh, most places in the United States who are wealthy in their community, like in, let's say, Akron, 
uh, would belong to a country club or an elite golf club. Uh, rich New Yorkers belong to places like the Metropolitan Club or the Yale right. Club. And uh, there's lots of, uh, you know, dead animals stuffed on the walls and, uh, you know, gigantic uh, carpets and, you know, paintings of Te Teddy Kennedy killing things and that kind of thing. Um, and they, you know, they, they, they hobnob in these kind of very um, rarefied uh, milieus where, you know, the wait staff is uh, all people of color. Everyone who's being served is white. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's genteel. It's kind of faux wasp because a lot of them aren't wasps, but they basically act like they're all wasps. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's something that is the, that's the world that Trump wanted to break to be desperately wanted to be accepted yes. into and welcomed into. And uh, and, and they, they just didn't like him and they were never going to. Right. And, and they make they they're not liking them pretty well known. And people don't understand culturally if they've never been or lived in New York. It's true that there are some people in New York who literally never believe, never leave the few blocks in which they live. Right. There are people in New York who don't leave the neighborhood ever. And that's yeah, unique. Now, yeah, that's, I think that's you know true. That, Ted, right. Yeah, no, that's true, because New York is is definitely uh, a, a city of neighborhoods. And, you know, because it's a it's a walking city, if you live in, you know, the right area of the of the village or the Upper East Side, you can, you know, you can have your entire world from shoe repair to boutique shopping to your favorite restaurant or watering hole, it, all within two, three blocks. And people from outside New York, it's hard to grasp that, because if you live in a city in Georgia, let's say, you've got to go someplace else to buy groceries. And so you know, maybe 10 miles away. And so people, New York's not like that. And I think a lot of people, the reason they didn't like Trump is he was a New Yorker. But any final thoughts, Ted? We're almost out of time. Well, I, I, my final thought is that uh, Donald Trump is about to be rehabilitated on Tuesday. Uh, he's going to uh, take credit for having uh, uh, picked the winners of at least 85% of the uh, House of Representatives and the Senate races. He's going to, and he's going to say, look, I, I anointed these people. They won. I was right. Now vote for me. And that's going to be a hard message to defeat. I'm sure it pained Ted to say that, but he did. And great conversation, Ted Rawl. And thanks so much to White Reed for a great conversation. Great show today, great week, and great calls. Thanks, Owl Killer and Brave. We'll be back on Monday on the best show, the most diverse show, The Backstory. Mm -hmm.